BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, you are listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Haig Balian, and I'm with someone who I haven't seen in a week, which these days is kind of a record. It's, <laughs> it's Mark Dreyer, author of Sporting Superpower. Mark, how are you doing? I am very well. So we are inside the bubble, not the Olympic bubble, but uh, we're still calling the studio the bubble, right? I think the bubble is stuck. Mark, you know, since last week, a lot has happened in the world, and yep. it's seeping into the sports world, and it's going to impact... Ever. China, the boycotts and sanctions against Russia are piling up. And close to home, the Paralympics are about to kick off here in Beijing. And the IOC has just come down hard on Putin. Uh, you know, what does this mean for the Paralympics uh, and, and the Russian Paralympic team? Well, first and foremost, sometime later today, we're recording this on Wednesday, Beijing time, the IPC, the International Paralympic Committee, will rule on whether Russian and Belarusian athletes are going to be able to uh, compete at the Paralympics. Now, here are, the, here are the issues that they're facing. Uh, I think the sense is that they want to kick them out, but there is some language in the IOC recommendations to, to basically ban uh, athletes from those two nations from competing at all. They said if it's on short notice, then, you know, you can kind of, there's some leeway there. And what the reason they have this is is, is, is purely for legal challenges. The, the IPC uh, uh, boss was saying yesterday, look, you know, we need to make sure that whatever decision we make stands up to these legal challenges. So if they're like uh, endlessly in courts and then all these, you know, uh, competitions get canceled or, or whatever, a worst case scenario, that would be a nightmare. So uh, the athletes are already in, the vast majority of athletes are already here in Beijing in the bubble. Now, of course, they can send them home. Um, there's a whole other issue like, well, should these individual athletes, these Paralympians be be personally penalized? You know, that is, that's a, that's a whole other question. Uh, the IPC historically, though, has, is pretty quick about taking a stand. Uh, they were firmer against uh, Russian doping allegations when it came to the Rio Paralympics in 2016, much firmer than the IOC, for example. So the, my sense is that they want to, uh, to to come down with a with a strong ruling, but they just might simply not be able to do that. But we should find out later today. And the Paralympics start in two days on Friday. And a lot of the athletes, as you said, are already here. And it just seems... You know, I understand. I totally understand the reasoning be behind these boycotts and be yeah. behind these sanctions. 
It's just that on an individual level. The, yeah, there's a lot more emotion involved with the Paralympics. Like, like That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Olympians are inspiring. For me, Paralympians are just next level. Yes. The vast majority uh, were either born or have developed some sort of disability. There's quite a lot of veterans as well, um, people with, with war injuries who are in the Paralympics. And so everyone has just a, a, an unbelievable story, uh, including, of course, the, the Russians and the Belarusians. So, yeah, it's, uh, it is tricky emotionally, but I think intellectually the world is coming up very strongly against against you know russia uh and so everyone wants to take a stand athletes uh, inevitably in some senses are going to be collateral damage but um it, it, you know it's it's just kind of one of the debates around it so by the time this podcast goes out i think we're going to have a decision like right? yes yeah okay okay uh what about the other athletes well it sounds like the ukrainian paralympians are going to be able to to to, to travel here i'm not sure if they've arrived yet they were having some difficulties, understandably. Uh, but I think, you know, from the other nations as well, there's going to be some, definitely some some athletes who are like, well, we don't want Russians and, and Belarusians in our in our competition. So that's another element that the that the IPC has to take into account. But it, it I think they're going to be guided by by the legal parameters, uh, which is unfortunate, but that's just the reality of, of the decision that they're faced with right now. Just far, far-reaching consequences yeah. here. But you know, talking of the, of the whole uh, Ukraine and Russia thing, you were watching uh, the Raptors just a few moments ago on Tencent. I and, was. Uh, saw something pretty interesting. Yeah, I was watching an NBA game, Raptors-Nets, and it was in the fourth quarter, crunch time, close game, and the broadcast, the Toronto broadcast, uh, cut to But a streamed fan. on Tencent here in China. It was streamed on Tencent. Uh, Tencent. I was watching on my iPad. The broadcast cut to a fan waving the Ukrainian flag, and a couple of seconds later... The Tencent stream here in China cut away. Yeah. It was only for a few seconds, and then they cut back. What they play? They cut to a, a pre-edited music video. Right. That's okay. it. Yeah. But that's in it. the middle of the action, right? In the middle of the action. Now, I, I have many complaints about the Tencent app. Uh, <laughs> you often miss the beginning of a quarter, you know, a minute or two sometimes. Right. And it's really frustrating. Yeah. But I've never seen it. And I've watched many, many Raptors games. Uh, never in the middle of the action. This but it sounds the like they pulled out of the music video early to go back, obviously, once the Ukrainian oh, flag yeah. was, was I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, right. there's no... I mean, yeah. It was yeah. just a few seconds. So... Uh, you know, it sounds like the Chinese director is basically okay, panicked and then quick, let's play something, and then realize that the moments pass. I mean, uh, this is this is something that that Chinese directors and broadcast platforms have had to deal with for a while. You know, Hong Kong protests. We had people in the West with T-shirts and so on. Um, and of course, the Chinese aren't producing their own feed. They don't have extra cameras there, and they would in the way that they would for for their own production. So it's it's pretty tricky. And of course, if they show something that is deemed too sensitive or illegal here, they're just going to get shut down. So it, 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 you know, I can understand it. It was jarring. It was definitely jarring. Yeah. And I think one of the things they're struggling with, from my sense, it does feel like China is still trying to figure out its whole position on this. It's slightly shifted over the week. You know, they're trying to tread this middle ground between Russia and the West. Um, and you know, of course, the director is like, well, how am I supposed to interpret that? Well, the obvious interpretation is anything in any way sensitive, like a flag, we got to block that. But they used to, you know, Tibet, Taiwan flags, that sort of stuff. Like, so they know what to look for, but they're not probably not going to have the same, like, you know, on delay type thing that, that CCTV broadcast would have. So just to speculate, I mean, it's really better safe than sorry at this point. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move to hockey. Because besides soccer, the KHL is the league that's going to feel the biggest impact from these boycotts. Already, Finland's Jokerit has pulled out of the KHL's playoffs, and Latvia's Riga has pulled out of the KHL 
completely. The KHL has, or I guess they had these continental aspirations. It's right there in the name. They also have teams in Belarus and Kazakhstan. And of course, there's Beijing's own Kunlun Red Star. So a couple of questions here for you, Mark. Yeah. What are the chances that KRS leaves KHL? Somewhere between uh, zero and nothing. Uh, but 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 it's purely political. I mean, um, China is definitely in a tight spot here. So the KHL, as you said, does, has five teams from outside Russia. Two of them are basically outs right now. Kazakhstan, we don't really know how that one's going to go. The one from Belarus, of course, they're in. Uh, Putin and Xi personally signed the agreement and posed at the launch ceremony when Kunlun Red Star was launched in 2016. So it's like it was formed from a geopolitical partnership mm-hmm. between the two countries. Mm-hmm. So as China is trying to tread that line, um, it makes it very difficult. Now, the men's team, their season is over because they didn't make the playoffs. So they're done. So we don't have to worry about what, for what the men are going to do until to after the summer when they when they reform. And, and so much can happen between now and then. So who knows? And there's the, other factors beyond politics as well right now about who's going to, what's the, what the makeup of that team is going to be that we've talked about a lot. And what's the business plan for a Chinese exactly, hockey team yeah. that, that's not getting any fans ever. And it's just basically bankrolling and who's funding all that thing. Yes, absolutely right. The women's team in the women's hockey league. Now, they don't have the same kind of uh, foreign involvement. They only have the the one Chinese team that have been based in uh, in Russia because of the pandemic, because they haven't been able to play based out of out of China. They've been playing. They've played four games since uh, Russia first went into Ukraine. Uh, almost as if nothing's gone on. Everyone, everyone else has pulled out. They've cancelled all sporting events. They've pulled out of of uh, you know the Champions League final has been withdrawn from Russia. The uh, the Grand Prix in Russia for, has has been cancelled. Meanwhile, the Chinese <laughs> Red the, the the KRS Shenzhen Vancouver Rays is just carrying on like like normal. It it is bizarre. And both the men's and women's teams both have Canadians, Europeans. Some are heritage players. I mean, there's a lot of links to. Well, the women have a, a whole bunch of nationalities: Americans, Canadians, Czechs, Swedes, Finns, and Russians, as well as Chinese. So imagine the conversation in that locker room. Uh, I mean, you've got you've got a, uh, a historically neutral con- uh, country like um, Sweden, who is now sort of taking a stand on this. Yeah, they're not they're not neutral on this issue. And you know, all these players are on social media. No one's really said anything, but it's definitely got to be strange. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And if you look at North America right now, you know, Ovechkin is feeling the heat. Yeah, I mean, he's still got uh, he's still got his profile picture on Instagram, him and Putin. So that kind of tells you uh, most of what you need to know on his views. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The way I see it for China, China is trying to sit on the fence. But when every everyone else takes a stand by default, then you're taking the opposite view. There there is no fence sitting option anymore, and China's finding this in so many different areas, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, whether it's a combination of the two, it's it's fascinating to watch from just a purely sort of third perspective uh, as they're trying to figure out China's place in the world. You know, they're trying to be a global leader, but but you know, then the, but they're not leading. Yeah. Right. So yeah. It, it's uh, it's not going to get any easier. There's going to be more and more questions. The Chinese would say, the foreign ministry would definitely say, no, 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 we have a policy of non-interference, but. If everyone else is taking one view, then then inevitably you're siding with Russia. The the noises out of Russia and the Russian foreign ministry is like, look at the Chinese response. They're still on our side. You saw what they said, right? So they're basically saying, you know, hey, China's still with us. So China's trying to distance itself from Russia. Russia's trying to bring it back, keep it in the fold. 
uh, it's a, it's a mess, frankly. And the longer this goes on, the the, the tougher it's going to be for for these clubs, for these teams to to engage anywhere in the world. I'd be surprised if next week we I think we'll have some updates on the hockey, especially on KRS on the women's team. I, I just don't I just can't imagine this will sort of go on as it's going on. It is difficult for the athletes, for for the coaches, and so on. You know, you look at someone like Thomas Tuchel in uh, the the Chelsea manager. Uh, who was getting a whole bunch of Abramovich questions, the, the Russian oligarch owner of, of Chelsea Football Club. And eventually he was like, look, like I'm not a politician. Stop asking me these questions. Of course, the journalists don't have access to Abramovich right now. Um, and so they, they're only asking him. I think with, with the Chinese women's hockey team in Russia, they're pretty under the radar in the whole global, global scheme of things. Right. So we don't know if these players have opinions or not, or, you know, they don't, it, it's tricky. Like, I think a lot of people are still figuring out their positions and how they feel about it and, and what they want to do. And, and you can sort of say, well, look, we're still, there's, there's the engagement angle, but it's to engage, you know, I'm not saying right or wrong, but it, they're in tough spots as well. Start a sports podcast, they said. <laughs> yeah. don't, you don't have to talk about politics. They oh, said. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other line, of course. You know, China's like, yeah, keep your politics out of my games, but um, yeah, it's impossible, especially with like Putin. Like February fourth is but, when day of the opening ceremony. He had that big meeting with with Xi Jinping. I mean, here's here's another thing that just makes it extra tricky for China in this sort of you know we're neutral position. China and the IOC have been very very tight for months and months, particularly in the build up to the Olympics with the Peng Shui issue. Uh, China and 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 Russia have been very tight, and then in the last few days when you have the IOC sanctioning Putin, kind of the, the other two sides of, of China's triangle, right? Okay, China can kind of say, well, nothing to do with us. But, you know, they have very, very close links to both sides. Like That's awkward at the very least. It just makes it harder and harder for China to kind of maintain its we are polit- politically neutral position. And I was just sort of thinking about how you were saying, okay, well, when everyone takes a side, I mean, if you don't take a side, that means you're taking a side. And this is the issue that's happening with the IOC and FIFA right now. Do you think that's fair? Like, I'm, I'm sort of second-guessing myself, but is, is it possible? Am I being unfair? Like, can you take a, a neutral stance? Well, it just seems like the world has polarized a lot over the last week, especially. Yeah, and it was already pretty polarized. And it was already pretty polarized. You know, the, the fact that the ATP just dropped its Moscow uh, tournament, but it's keeping its Chinese tournaments. So look, I, I'll have a prediction on this one. I don't see those tournaments happening at all. They so they announced the calendar for Chinese tournaments for this year, um, and including two big ones: the China Open, the Shanghai Masters. Those are big tournaments on the calendar, so a lot of the top players will come. Now, of course, they could do them in the bubble scenario. So you got the whole pandemic quarantine restrictions, which has 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 shut down tennis, international tennis tournaments in China over the last few years. But I just don't see how the ATP are going to be able to justify playing in China with the stance that the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, are taking. They are super strong. The players are generally supportive of that stance, and they have called out, some of them have actually called out their own tour, like, you know, why are we not being more forceful about this? So I think the backlash from inside the tour is going to be big. The backlash from fans is going to be massive. When we did our 2022 predictions, one of your predictions was that 
we would not see another international tournament in China after the Olympics and Paralympics. Yeah. I, I think, I still think we're on track for that. The the four tournaments, the Chengdu Open, Zhuhai Championships, China Open here in Beijing, Shanghai Masters, they're in September, October. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the borders opening up by then? No. They could do it. They could? They could do it and just with no fans. And But the players ah. are now back back everywhere else in the world. We're back, back to normal. So they're not going to want to come. And... You know, is it is the money really that important to them? I don't know. Like, they they would be just seen as betraying the the women's tour, and I think that the reputational risk would be her, like it, it's too much for them. Going back to my prediction, um, I'm not sure I'm going to be entirely right there because they are making noises about the Asian Games. We had a 200 day video countdown um, recently, mm, okay. so I think they will try to recreate the the complex Olympic bubble for the Asian Games, which is Hangzhou in the fall. Uh, but again. A lot can happen between then and now, and uh, obviously there's there's political considerations as well. But at the moment, that still stands. I just can't see the tennis happening. Me neither. Okay, one last story. Uh, Niels Vanderpool of Sweden won speed skating gold in Beijing, and then he gave it away. Did you read about this? Yeah. Uh, he gave the medal to Gui Minhai, a Chinese-born Swedish publisher of books critical of Beijing. He said he wanted to protest in China. But he didn't because of warnings from Chinese officials not to. Now, do you know anything about uh, Niels Vanderpool? He is, first and foremost, a phenomenal speed skater. He broke the world record in the 10,000 meters and, and also won in the 5,000 meters. I did watch that race. It was stunning. I mean, speed skating, of all, the, you know, I like all sports. Speed skating is probably not in my top three. <laughs> but, but it was a dominant performance. And then the more you read about this guy, the more interesting he is. Like he he just does these crazy training things. There was one he was like biking from cross country and, and he was freezing cold, so he was like pissing on his hands to warm them up. Oh my <laughs> to god! Warm them up. He was like eating ten pounds of porridge before a, like an ultra marathon. He's got some unusual uh, training methods, and and I think the reason for this is because he says, well, we can kind of have these these, uh, these these long time frames and I can try these experimental training methods, whereas the Dutch, who are his mm. main opponents when it comes to speed skating, they're constantly having to be in top form for, you know, the next championships and the next right. uh, qualifiers and so on. So they have to, they can't do anything too experimental. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to try this uh, thing. I'm going to go off the grid for four months and see if I get any better. Yeah, and, you know, after he won gold, he published on his website this entire manual of how he did it. Yeah. But yeah. It, was, it was really interesting. And, and, and it goes from advice about nutrition and alcohol to dealing with the media to, you know, all that stuff. It was kind of bizarre, but kind of cool. So if people didn't read the story, he actually flew to Cambridge, England, because that's where uh, Gwen Minhai's daughter, Angela, is, uh, is doing a PhD. And he presented the gold medal to her on behalf of her father. Now, a couple of things here. It, there was a kind of interesting quote that he said, it feels like you know, I'm bringing more meaning to just skating round and round in circles. And I kind of like that quote. It's like, <laughs> yeah, obviously the Chinese are going to be yeah. like, no, you're politicizing, you know, they're obviously not going to like this at all. Um, but he's clearly devoted to pushing things forward and, and taking it. And like, like, like you said, uh, publishing his training manual online for, for all his rivals to see, like he wants to push the envelope. He wants the sport to be better. He wants everyone to be better. So uh, I think it lends more credibility to, to that line, whether or not you, you, you agree with what he's doing. The other thing is, uh, the Chinese have pretty long memories when it comes to this sort of stuff. It's not quite as 
explosive as when the Nobel uh, Peace Prize was given to uh, Chinese writer Liu Xiaobo in 2010, and basically Norway was on the blacklist for a number of years. Sweden's kind of already on the shit list here, um, and I think this this story has been somewhat lost in the headlines with everything that's going on this week. They'll be aware of it, of course, but... Mark, we started off with the Paralympics. They start in a couple of days. What are you going to be looking at there? I would just encourage anyone who's listening anywhere in the world to watch the Paralympics. It's honestly, truly inspiring. I love the Paralympics. They don't get nearly as much coverage. They get a lot more coverage than they used to, which is fantastic to see. But there's some great stories, just some really good sporting performances. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And then, you know, just in a couple of weeks' time, the Formula One season is going to start. That's exciting because... uh, uh, Joe Guan Yu is, is going to be the first Chinese uh, driver on the grid. So I know he's been uh, in testing and we've been sort of reaching out to his team, trying to get him on the show. So if you're listening, Guan Yu, love to have you on. Hopefully we can speak in the next few weeks. Definitely. That's it for this week. I know listeners are going to want to have their say. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Mark, where can people find you? Dryer China. So D-R-E-Y-E-R China. And you can find me at Haig Ballion. That's H-A-I-G-B-A-L-I-A-N. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>